Hello and welcome to a Royal College of Psychiatrists podcast. I'm very pleased to have here with me today Dr Adrian James, who is the chair of the college's Westminster Parliamentary Liaison Committee. So, Dr James, thank you very much for joining us. I'd like to ask you to tell us a little bit more about your role as chair of the committee. Yeah, well, it's great to be here, Howard. Um, in addition to my parliamentary work, I'm a full-time practising consultant forensic psychiatrist down in Devon, and I've recently taken on the role of chair of the Strategic Clinical Network for Mental Health in the Southwest. So I've got a clinically-based role, a, an implementing policy role, and I guess my role with the college is really about trying to get policy agreed in, in Parliament. So what does the Westminster Parliamentary Committee do? Uh, we have committee meetings where we decide our agenda for the year. We've got one this afternoon. That involves users, carers, uh, psychiatrists, and also full-time college staff. I guess our biggest role is going to the party conferences where we meet with ministers, MPs, and peers, and we lobby on behalf of the, the college. We're, we're lobbyists like, uh, like everybody else. And um, we try to put forward um, the, the views of, of college members and try to improve outcomes for service users. I guess it's really important that we do that with um, other stakeholders. So when I came into post, I made it very clear that I wanted to work with Mind, Rethink, Centre for Mental Health and uh, the NHS Confederation. Because uh, if we can actually work together on things, then obviously people are much more likely to, to listen to us. So I guess in addition to the, uh, the conferences, we uh, meet individually with uh, MPs, uh, peers, uh, and uh, policy makers in, in Parliament and try to influence what actually happens. Fantastic. And the Mental Health Discrimination Bill has been in the national news a great deal and represents great progress in tackling stigma. Please could you just describe what this new piece of legislation means and the role that the committee played in bringing it into law? Well, I think it's a, it's a really important piece of, of legislation, both in terms of practical terms and also the message that it gives out about mental health. Essentially what it did was to um, prevent discrimination for people who were uh, working as uh, governors uh, on, um, for, for schools, uh, working as directors of, of companies, and also serving on juries that uh, in the past, until this legislation came in, that essentially those roles were um, really um, not open to people who have had a significant history of mental health problems. In addition to that, there was a rule that said that uh, MPs who were sectioned under the Mental Health Act, if they were sectioned for more than six months, they would lose their seat. Um, this contrasts with if you were actually sentenced to a prison sentence, that your prison sentence would be have to be more than a year for you to lose your seat. And, and clearly there's no other uh, physical health condition, for instance, that would mean that you would lose your seat. So that's what it did. But I think it sent out a much bigger message to say that we've really got to look at all areas of discrimination in terms of mental health, of which there are really ma many others. I mean, what did the col college do? I think before my time, uh, the members of the college who had worked on various parts of that discrimination and we were very lucky that we were able to actually bring it together and the college were the lead agency that worked first of all with Lord Dennis Stevenson who introduced the initial bill to the House of Lords. Unfortunately through complicated uh, parliamentary process it got um, it ran out of time so it didn't ever actually get onto the, uh, the statute book and it had to be, then be introduced to the House of Commons as a private member's bill by Gavin Barlow. 
I think what we were able to do was to, to lobby all the people that we knew in Parliament who were influential both in the Lords and in the, the, the Commons so that uh, in the end it had cross-party support. And a lot of the time I, I, I end up speaking to MPs and think, well, what am I doing this for? And uh, there's no definite product at the end of it. But there was a very interesting thing that happened in the, the middle of the discrimination bill that uh, um, there are various processes you have to go through in Parliament. The one is that it goes to a, a committee stage where the legislation is scrutinised in more detail. And uh, for a, a group of um, MPs get together and actually scrutinise it, I knew every single one of those MPs and I personally briefed them over about a year period. So I knew that it was actually going to be okay and that it wasn't going to, they were going to introduce something which would either make it look ridiculous or unworkable. I knew then that it was going to go through. So lots of lobbying, um, lots of behind the scenes work and even working with people to make sure that it didn't get talked out because there are all sorts of funny parliamentary rules that means that people can stand up and uh, recite poetry um, to talk a bill out, um, which obviously we would see as being ridiculous in the medical world, but is seen as being fair game in Parliament. So we were able to work on uh, some individuals who might have uh, been involved with that and to make sure that it was seen as being something which was uh, essential uh, mainstream with government and opposition policy and in fact it was really about reducing legislation not adding to it. And it's very interesting to hear about the work of the committee but it would be very interesting to also hear about how college can influence Westminster in other ways. Uh, it's, um, it's an interesting role and I think the one of the frustrations is that it's very difficult to get an immediate product for some of the work that you that you do, it would be really lovely to walk into Parliament and say, I've got a great idea, this is really going to change the world. Uh, and everybody turns around and says, yeah, let's just do it. Uh, so it's often uh, quite a, a long process. I think, first of all, you have to start with um, users and carers and actually what's best for them, what's going to improve outcomes for them, and actually try to get a consistency of approach with the user and carer organisation so that everybody's... Uh, uh, singing to the same hymn, hymn sheet, if you like. If we all go in and saying different things, then politicians are not going to know what to do. So working out the evidence, focused on users and carers, and a combined approach. It's then about engaging ministers and actually trying to engage them in areas that instantly appeal to them, because it's you want to actually be knocking at an open door rather than a closed door wherever possible. So it's seeing opportunities. And then it's... Uh, engaging with a wider group of, um, of MPs and peers, particularly those we know who have an in interest in mental health for whatever reason, and who will actually be prepared to stand up in Parliament and um, uh, suggest things, uh, ask questions, uh, and challenge the government, but also suggest alternatives. So uh, those are all sorts of, of things that, um, that, that we do. And sometimes you get a result. Of course, uh, I'm not sitting here as the person who really runs everything and does everything, it's, um, it's very much a combined approach. Um, Will Pickering, who is, um, uh, works in the, the um, uh, communications and policy department at the, the college, he's uh, the full-time worker in the college who actually takes on a lot of these issues, and I couldn't do anything without him, or the wider support of people within the college. So it's a combined approach, as well as working with outside agencies, as I've already said. I mean, it sounds that... The mechanisms of Westminster are extremely complex and at times opaque. What advice would you have for individual members who want to influence politicians about 
issues that they feel are important to their patients? Well, I think there are, there are two, two sides of that. I think there's the stuff that you can really do on the, the ground, and then there's things that we can do, I think, as a campaigning organisation. I think on the ground, what really makes a difference to politicians is actually arranging to meet with your local MP. And if every psychiatrist in the country, let's say even just once a year, went along to see their MP, preferably with a service user or carer, about the most important issue to them, that has a profound effect. Uh, MPs can't refuse to see their constituents. And a face-to-face meeting backed up with a single sheet of A4 that's actually not just this is what psychiatrists want, but this is what users and carers want, is, is really very powerful. Uh, letters to the local press, again, all MPs uh, find out what's actually happening in the local press, and that also makes a really big difference to them. And actually forming a local lobby group that can link in with, uh, with their MPs. I guess in terms of nationally, the, I think it's, it's looking at opportunities. And uh, I've, I've just been uh, texting people about an opportunity I've, I've recently seen uh, at the time this podcast is likely to go out, that there's, there's quite a big thing about accident emergency departments and a, a real crisis. And we've got the Secretary of State saying uh, there are people dying in A&E departments. What are we going to do about it? I think there's a real opportunity for the college in that. I guess there are two things. One is minimum price for alcohol and launching a campaign around that because we know that about a third of people who attend A&E departments are there because of alcohol-related problems. We know that binge drinking, um, preloading with cheap alcohol before people go, actually go out on the town uh, accounts for a, a huge number of people who end up in A&E departments. So if you want to do something about that very quickly in a cost-neutral way, this isn't going to cost any money, then that's something that the college can actually try to encourage government to do there seems to be a bit of resistance around that. I guess the other side of that is mental health liaison services. Again, if you look at all the evidence through the studies done by the LSE, it's a cost-neutral approach, unbelievably, that money that you invest actually comes back. And it's also about parity. So the government is saying they're, they're serious about parity. So it's, it's about getting equivalent access for people with mental health problems to those with physical, physical health problems and actually uh, doing a, a, a very large amount to sort out the A&E problems as well. So it's seeing what's out there, what's grabbing the headlines, and actually saying, this is our solution. And if you can provide a, a cost-neutral, even cost-saving approach to that, what's not to like? Now, it sounds like that's going to be a very significant issue going forward. What do you see as being the other major mental health issues affecting Parliament over the next decade? Well, I think the the parity agenda, I think, will be here for some time. It would be nice to think that that's going to be sorted overnight, but I don't think it, it, um, it will be. And the college at the moment is looking at operationalising parity. What does it really mean to people out there? I think there's a... I've always found it quite extraordinary that um, it was always a cardinal sin um, when you're um, at medical school for somebody to miss a physical health problem, um, particularly if you're in a mental health system. If you miss that somebody's got a physical illness, that's a, it's almost career-ending, whereas there are many easily recognised mental health problems uh, which we, we recognise, um, but we actually do nothing to treat. And let's look at the access for, say, people who've got depression uh, to evidence-based services the, the evidence is that only about a quarter of people, people who could benefit uh, from interventions, actually get those interventions. And 
this would not be uh, allowed in physical health medicine if people broke their arm people said you've got no treatment and um, you're going to have to sit there and suffer uh, this would not be allowed so I think actually cranking up the agenda that, of access to mental health services and making that an absolute right for example in the NHS constitution I would like to lobby for equality of access let's say uh, for psychological therapies that the the same weighting targets should uh, be there for psychological approaches so long as they're evidence-based as for um, for physical health conditions so I think that's going to be a, um, a very big uh, big agenda I think the other big agenda is um, is funding um, funding is a bit of a dirty word people say there is no money but people are saying that the national agenda of around the, the NHS mandate is around uh, equality of outcome and we know that people with mental health problems have much poorer outcomes particularly for their physical health so if we're going to go for equality of out outcome you have got to rebalance the amount of money that's spent on people with mental health problems otherwise you will continue to discriminate against them Great, well thank you very much for talking to us today and we look forward to hearing more about the work of the Parliamentary Committee going forward in the future. Great, thanks very much, really great to be here. Thank you.